Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. From Psalm 30. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. We could easily imagine the widow at Nain singing this very psalm, couldn't we? We could also imagine the same for the widow at Seraphath that we read about in our Old Testament lesson from 1 Kings, whose son was raised by Elijah. We could also think of the Shumanite woman from 2 Kings 4, whose son was raised by Elisha, the family of the Israelite man in 2 Kings, who came back to life after touching the bones of Elisha. Jairus, whose daughter was raised by Jesus. Mary and Martha in John chapter 11, whose brother Lazarus was called out of the grave by Jesus. And many others as well, that this song, this psalm, rings true for all of them and for us as well. Our gospel today is is a picture filled with emotionally charged language. Luke paints a tragically sad picture. Our own hearts go out to this poor woman who lost her husband and now her only begotten son. It is also dripping with eschatological images which help us to see that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the son of the living God, and how he is going to raise us on the last day. For the widow at Zarephath in our Old Testament reading, she must have gone through an incredibly emotional roller coaster, if we think about it. If you recall the full story of what happened with her, when Elijah found her, she was out gathering sticks. And she tells the prophet that she is on her way home to prepare a last meal. It's the last of her food. She's going to prepare a meal for herself and for her son. And once that meal is gone, there's no more food. Elijah, as instructed by the Lord, has the audacity to request a portion of that last meal. The text goes on to say that the three of them were able to eat for many days and the food miraculously never ran out. One can only imagine what this was like for her. Wondering, each day and each meal, is this the day that the food is going to run out? Is this the day that this is going to be my last meal before starvation? And then after several days of this miraculous feeding, her son falls sick and dies. Listen to her reaction. What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Sins, long forgotten, 
are now fresh on her mind. She feels responsible for her son's death and her own suffering, and she can't imagine why Elijah would make her suffer in such a way before her son died. Her reaction was not a reaction of faith. Her reaction was that of somebody who had been hurt. She had no hope. She somehow deserved this tragedy because of her own sin. Her sin resulted in the death of her husband, and now her sin resulted in the death of her son. In some cruel trick, Elijah saved them from starvation, only to see her son die from illness anyways. We see a similar situation with the widow at Nain. Our text picks up right after Jesus healed the centurion's servant. As he was traveling, he came upon the centurion, who came up to Jesus and said, Only say the word and my servant will be healed. He demonstrates an incredible faith. He recognizes the power of Jesus and his word. Jesus even remarks at his faith. I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. Luke paints a vivid picture. Jesus is walking from this miraculous healing. And he's walking towards the town gates, followed by the disciples and a great crowd. Because Jesus never walked alone anywhere. If you invited Jesus, you had 12 additional guests wherever he was, followed by many, many more on top of that. So as Jesus is heading this procession going into Nain, he's met by another crowd. This crowd is led by a sobbing woman. For it was traditional for the bereaved to lead the funeral procession, followed by the bier and then the mourners. It is not clear how Jesus learned that the woman was a widow and the dead man her only begotten son. He could have learned this from somebody who was there if he asked what was going on. He could have simply known this out of his divine knowledge. The text really doesn't tell us. But regardless, it is no wonder that a considerable crowd followed after this poor woman. Who would not be moved by such a tragic situation? Like the widow at Zarephath, perhaps this widow also wondered what sin she committed to merit such a fate. If not the widow herself, surely some in the crowd had that very same thought. God must truly despise this woman. He must be truly angry with her. We confess as much every week. We confess that we deserve God's presence and eternal punishments. One can only imagine the weight upon this poor woman. With her husband and her son gone, she has no means to provide for herself. She faces a miserable future. And to make matters worse, her conscience now bears the burden of thinking that she is responsible. It is her sin that put her in this position. It is the wrath of a vengeful God that took her husband and her son. But then she meets Jesus. 
As Jesus happens upon this tragic scene, the text says that he has compassion on her. This is one of those interesting words when you look at it in the original Greek. It literally means that Jesus' insides poured out. His very insides were moved as he saw this scene. It means not just the heart, the liver, the, all of the insides. His whole inner being is moved as he saw her condition. It's much more than just feeling a little sorry for her. It's more of a visceral reaction. Like the good Samaritan, when he saw the, the injured man, he was moved to action where he had to do something. It seems a little insensitive at first, but Jesus gives her a command. He tells her to stop crying, and then he approaches the beer. He approaches the unclean. But rather than contaminating himself, he passes his cleanness onto the unclean. He gives life to the dead man. Notice how Jesus speaks to the dead man. This is his second command. He speaks to the man as if he were asleep. Elijah, he had to spread himself across the dead man three times as he cried out to God. And Elisha did something similar when he raised the dead. But Jesus does something different. Similar to the healing of the centurion servants, it is his word that raises the dead. It is his word that makes the unclean whole again. It is his word that breathes the breath of life into the dead man, and he immediately comes to life. Notice, too, that there's no mention of faith in this gospel lesson at all. The centurion, on the other hand, he demonstrated tremendous faith. Mary and Martha, they confessed their faith to Jesus, and he knew that Lazarus shared that same faith. Jesus healed the ten lepers, although only one returned to give thanks to God. So we know that the miracle doesn't flow out of the faith of the widow or her son. The miracle flows from the compassion of Christ. Upon seeing the dead man raised, or upon seeing the dead man raised from the dead, the people are terrified, and understandably so. It's not something one sees every day once you go to a funeral. You don't normally see the dead person get up and start walking out. And when they saw that, they immediately recognized that Jesus was a great prophet. They glorified God and said that, that Jesus or that God had visited his people and that a great prophet had been raised up among them. They don't quite recognize him as the Messiah yet, but they know that he's something different and his fame spread as a miracle worker, but not quite yet as the Messiah. But make no mistake, Jesus shows himself to be the greater Elijah, the greater Elisha, the greater Moses. Jesus shows himself to be God himself. He shows authority over death itself. 
The compassion of Jesus extends far beyond the widow at Nain. He looked upon the state of the world and he was moved in his inmost being. His insides poured out. He did not wait for us to confess our faith. He knew that one out of ten would return to give thanks. Because of his great compassion, he did not hesitate to kick death in the teeth. He did not hesitate to swallow up death in victory. For the widow at Nain is a beautiful example of what we call objective justification. This is what John 3.16 looks like. For God so loved the world. God loves the unlovable. God loves those rejected by society. He even loves those who reject him. Christ died for the sins of the entire world, believers and unbelievers alike. However, not all receive the gift of salvation. We read again from John 3, 16, and 8, 16 through 18. Excuse me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We don't know if this widow believed or not. We don't know if she had faith in Christ, nor do we know if the Son believed. I like to think that they did, But the text doesn't tell us. What we do see for sure is that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God. He has the power to forgive sins and the power to raise the dead. And like the widow's son, there will come a day when Christ stands beside your grave and mine and calls you forth to everlasting life. The accounts that we read this morning about the widows at Zarephath and Nain are quite moving. While we never truly know what someone else is feeling, it is relatively easy to have empathy for both of these two. There may have even been times when you felt as if your future was hopeless. You may have felt as if your sins were coming back to haunt you. You may have thought that you were receiving punishment for your sins. Remember that God heard the widow's cries for mercy, even with no mention of faith. When God saw their situations, he was moved in his innermost being. He had compassion on them both. And he has compassion on you as well. For the rain falls on the righteous as well as the wicked. God feeds the believer as well as the unbeliever. Christ died for the sins of the entire world. The difference for the believer is that we have hope. We know that the resurrection awaits us. We know that any suffering here is insignificant compared to what lies ahead. We know that suffering connects us to Christ. 
We know that when we hurt, Christ hurts as well. So it is that we too can rejoice with the psalmist, even at the most tragic of deaths. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks forever. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.